This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Teachers, they're, they're obviously going to respond to this story, I think, on our station all day long, I think over the next couple of days. I love the high percentage of teachers that we hear from when we talk about um, education stories. I also don't think you need to have children, per se. I couldn't tell you what the percentage is of, let's say, people over 30 um, that have kids, but it's it probably leans heavily in in terms of parents that listen to the show and listen to the radio station. This TDSB story Dave mentioned is harrowing and it's disturbing. There isn't a question about it. I don't have a great prediction as to how, how it ends up getting resolved. Let me give you the meat and potatoes of it and then give you some of what I think. And we'll certainly um, allow for texts all morning long on this issue at 416-870-6400. I'd love to hear from teachers. What are your tools to discipline anymore? And I think it ranges clearly. When, you're, when you've got 16, 17-year-olds, you got trickier times. And you especially have trickier times if you're at a rough high school. And you were at, you got trickier times in terms of discipline if the kids are much, much bigger than you. Okay? Um, and bigger than, by the way, a lot of I, – I looked at some kids who are a year or two older than me, and I'm like, I'm not going near that kid. I'm not saying anything about that kid's stupid-looking bomber jacket. Uh, no chance. That's school. That's, that's my memory of school is say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, mess with the wrong person, and you don't know what the ramifications could be. But that's not what this is. This is a six-year-old whose mother says he was forced to sit in a corner away from his classmates. Okay, my ire is raised to maybe about a six out of ten. Well, what happened here? What brought it to this point? Some kids are impossible uh, in the classroom. Or they're they're some semi-possible four days out of the week, and then on a random Thursday, they're not. So how do you handle that? And I get that times are different. It's not 1970 eight or nine when I was this age where a teacher would grab you by the arm, pull you away from somebody else or grab you by the arm when you're out, not in the right line in uh, when you're going down to get a drink at the bathroom. Times have changed. We were threatened with the strap. Some of you listening probably got the strap. I don't know what year the strap ended, but I know that corporal punishment's not an issue anymore, but I do think this, if this child was locked in a uh, any kind of a room for any period of time without the ability to get out. And I don't care what's in there. I, 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 I bet you there wasn't a, a flat screen TV and a non-suite bathroom and, uh, and a massage chair or one of those uh, X chairs. Um, the entire staff needs to go. They don't need to be transferred to another school. They need to be fired. If they knew about this and did this, And they locked a child, a six-year-old, in a room at John Fisher Jr. Public School. They can't be involved in education anymore. I don't care that it's not my board. I care that it's your board. And you shouldn't even care if it's your board or not. They're not fit to be in education anymore in our province. They're not fit for our tax dollars to pay their salaries anymore. I wish we could rip their pensions away, but I know we're not that lucky. That's the allegation here. Now, having said that, this is open and shut for me. No pun intended. If they locked him in the room, they have to be fired, not transferred to another school. This happens all the time in education. And uh, my parents, both as teachers, I can put them both on the air today and they could tell you stories, unfortunately, about colleagues who should have been let go from their job, who weren't fit 
to call themselves teachers or educators. And they just kept flitting away, away from school to school to school, dodging controversy, dodging inadequacy, dodging accountability. I don't want that to happen here with this case. Now, I will go to the other side of this. He is six. I'm sure the mom even says, so many six-year-olds are a handful. Okay, fine. Farida is uh, is talking to a couple news organizations, and there's going to be a news conference at 1.30 today that I'm sure we'll get a lot more information from. I don't know how we document that this is being done to this child because of the color of his skin. I don't know how we're going to get that borne out. Her quote, I want to see equal treatment for all black families and their children. I want it to be a more inclusive environment. I don't know how we'll get to that point in this particular scenario, unless other parents come forward and say, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. With my kid. Um, So I don't know how we'll get there. There is an organization called Parents of Black Children. You can imagine what the job is. And I'm telling you, that's an important advocacy job. Of course it is. Racialized children have to be treated the same as everybody else. I'm not for, I think there's two different things in life, equity and equality. They are different. We can strive for one, don't know how we ever, ever could achieve the other. But this school and this area is very white, is very old money, and there have been problems before at another school nearby, uh, Glendale Public School, back in 2019. So we're, I'm, I'm cautiously treading, not because I'm worried about something I'll say, but I'm cautiously treading and keeping an open mind that this is an isolated incident and it's not about something where, um, hey, th- th- there's a black kid acting up. Let's make sure we treat him a lot more harshly than if he was white, brown, blue, red, or purple. I don't know that yet. Nobody can. I know this. If they closed him in a room, they have to be fired. And I would hope that the union wouldn't grieve it. And I would hope that other teachers would say, you're damn right. I don't want these people associated with me. I come in every day, do my job to the best of my ability in a very difficult environment to teach, maybe. Um, But I think there's a huge difference, by the way, between kids sitting in the corner by themselves and being locked in an AV room or whatever indeed it was. They showed video of it. But we'll see where the story goes. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We're we're looking at a new Ipsos poll that has some, to me, it's got some validity to it. But I think something Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos, says for global news, to global news, is really, really significant. Um, In general, this is about riding transit. And it shows some TTC riders are changing their habits a little bit. There have been some violent incidents. This is all like a giant jigsaw puzzle to try and fix these things. But he does say... In general, people do feel safe riding transit. There's a quarter of the population that doesn't really feel safe, regardless of where you go. And he's right. There's things I will I will never jump out of an airplane. So if you do, if you include me in a survey of whether or not I want to jump out of an airplane or whether I think it's safe or whether I'd be afraid doing it, I'm going to give you kind of a biased answer. So 1,350 Canadians, it's the best we can do. 1,350 Canadians were surveyed about this. I don't know how many live in Toronto. I don't know how many ever take public transit on the regular. Um, these are difficult things to to get to get down to preciseness. And Daryl Bricker basically explains it this way. Let's check in with TT, uh, TTC spokesperson Stuart Green, who joins us now. It's great to have you on. Thanks for the uh, time and the conversation today. Sure. Good morning, Greg. Let's talk a little bit about the weekend first. Um, I think all things considered, we got exactly the amount of snow, almost at the exact time we expected it. 
And for the most part, um, the TTC and the city seemed pretty well prepared. It, it's it's nice when the forecast gives you exactly the walloping you expect because prep was done in the process. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've <laughs> we've been fooled a few times this winter with, you know, threats of, you know, 30 centimeter snowfalls. Uh, and we've had very sort of isolated, smaller snowfalls. So this was a significant one. Uh, we've got a severe weather plan that we kick in um, when we see these things coming. And we, of course, monitor all of this through Environment Canada. Um, so we did a couple of things proactively. We canceled the uh, weekend subway closure that was planned because the, uh, the closure was going to have buses going up and down Young Street right through Hogs Hollow, uh, those very steep hills around York Mills. So, uh, you know, the chances of them, get, of them getting stuck uh, significantly increased. So we didn't want that to happen. So we canceled the closure and we kept subway service running, which is great. Uh, we had about 50 extra buses out. Um, we prioritized areas in Scarborough uh, and North York primarily that we know are heavily used on weekends because this, of course, is a weekend event uh, for things like shopping and medical appointments. Uh, based on our ridership patterns. So we, we really focused on those areas, uh, areas where people don't have transit options or transportation options, they don't have cars. So uh, they really rely on transit. So we we really focused, uh, and you're right, I think we, all things considered, we we, uh, we did fairly well this weekend. When when you hear this um, survey, I, I, I don't know if you agree with me and, and that, that I have it right, but I think it's, it's really difficult to gauge who uses transit on a regular basis or not. I know people that don't want to drive on the 401 because they don't think it's safe and they don't want to, um, you know, they wouldn't want to meet at uh, Young and Dundas Square because they don't think it's. I, so I, I, I think we don't have a great lens when even when 1300 people are spoken to, Stuart, about who even takes the TTC on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, you know, the context is important. I mean, I will say that, uh, you know, we do our own surveys and we have our own focus groups of about a thousand transit users. So a thousand people we know take the TTC. We've got that group that we go to on a regular basis just to sort of gauge their sense of comfort and, and how they're feeling about the system in general. We have definitely seen there's been an increase in the last couple of months, as we all know, of, of some high profile incidents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has made uh, made people a little less comfortable feeling uh, on transit. So that's why we've taken the steps we have in terms of increasing our budget for things like street outreach workers. We've got specially trained security guards. We've got police, of course, that are in the system and helping us out, more special constables. But we're doing this balanced approach, and you and I have talked about this before, this balanced approach that includes trying to address some of those systemic and societal issues that are really beyond our scope. And we're, we're a transit agency, first and foremost. We're trying to focus on that. So doing all of that street outreach work that, you know, that is sort of manifesting itself on the TTC is an important part of the work we're doing. So we're trying to find that balanced approach. But, I mean, I think the survey does speak to a general sentiment and feeling. Of course, keep in mind when it was taken. It was taken right after a number of high-profile security-related incidents. So, of course, that's going to skew the result of it, too. Yeah, I, I do think that uh, that's a good point that, that has to get made here. Um, cracking down on fare evasion, what's the expectation here in terms of have you looked at data that says this is how many, you know, how many officers we need and this is uh, what gets what gets recouped when we're fining people? And then how do you how do you how do you sort of make sure there's a proper ratio to get them to pay the fines in the, in the first place? Well, so so here's a really important point. Thanks for raising this. We get zero dollars from a ticket when we issue a ticket for whether it be two hundred and thirty five or four hundred twenty five dollars. We get zero. That goes into the court system. We want people to pay their fare because we get all of that. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to use the threat of a ticket to uh, encourage people to pay their fare. Uh, it's something that we've we paused during the pandemic. Uh, we paused prior to the pandemic, in fact, because 
There was some concern about uh, some of the, uh, the an indiscriminate way we were ticketing. There was some disproportionate uh, representation from from uh, Black and Indigenous communities in particular. We've we've reached out to specialists in this area. We've made sure that our when we re-engage in the ticketing process, it's done in an equitable and fair way, so that people are not being targeted for anything other than not paying their fare. Um, so we, you know, we know right now on our, and, and again, this is all about the streetcar network because that's an open payment or an open door system as opposed to something like a bus where you have to pass the operator or going into a gate in a subway station. So really focusing on the streetcar network. We know right now about 86, 87% on a daily basis are paying their fare. What we're finding is that of the, that other sort of 13%, if we say, hey, pay your fare or you're going to get a ticket, they pay, half of them are paying their fare. So we're getting the rates up to like over 90% once we introduce the threat of a ticket. So, um, you know, it's really going to be, again, another balanced approach. We're not going to target people who cannot pay, you know, those who are obviously, you know, for example, people who might be seeking shelter on transit and and can't afford to pay. You know, obviously, there's no point in giving them a ticket. We'll just let them ride. But but others that we know are evading fare and we see that when we offer them the chance to pay. Uh, they're the ones that we're going to be asking to pay their fare. And w- is there a set policy for a streetcar operator to not engage with somebody that just hops on um, through that through that back door? Um, well, so, is there a policy? Yeah. What is the policy? Yeah. So the streetcars, all the doors open at every stop, mm-hmm. and people are. It, it, and this is a way to keep it moving quickly, right? Uh, but it does introduce that element of fare evasion. Uh, but the training uh, the, the, for all operators, whether it's bus, streetcars, in the stations, is do not get engaged in fare disputes because we've seen in the past historically that when when fair disputes arise that's when problems arise and that's when our employees are getting injured or getting into squabbles we don't want that so they're told not to engage in fair disputes i know there was some there was some data that compared um january of of 22 to january of 23 i don't know that those that data is very fair given you know we had two weeks where school was shut down in in 22 and it was remote learning there was still a lot of a lot more general societal concern is the best way i can put it about COVID than there is now. Uh, there were mask mandates in place. Um, will you really not get a sense about who's returning to transit and who isn't until, like, say, the end of this spring? Well, we I think we already know. Like, what we've seen now is we've seen several months of static ridership, around 70% of pre-pandemic during the week. It's over 80% on weekends. Um, but, you know, we, we know what the issue is here. The issue is that people are working remotely uh, and that until more people go back to work in the office, our ridership will not grow, grow more than probably 5%, um, you know, and, and that's optimistic. We've seen the 70% has been static for probably almost a year now. Uh, so, you know, really what we're, what we're looking at is sort of encouraging people to get back on transit. Uh, you know, again, this is part of our safety uh, initiative is to in- make people feel safer and to be safer on transit so that when, you know, if and when they want to go back to work more often, they feel comfortable taking transit. That's how one of the ways we get our ridership back. But, you know, it's it's absolutely correlated to the number of people that are working from home. We see on Mondays and Fridays, for example, our ridership is lower than on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because when people have the option, of course, they'll take Monday and Friday off right. uh, and work during, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday. So that's when our ridership goes up. Stuart Green from the CTC, our guest. Last thing for you, this was supposed sure. to start, Fair Evasion was supposed to start on March 1st to resume ticketing. Do you have data that shows tickets have been uh, have been given out and have been issued? So we actually haven't started yet. Um, okay. it, that, that was sort of an aspirational date. We're still sort of finalizing a date, and we'll make sure that we give people plenty of notice. We've already started talking about it now, so we know it's coming this month. We just don't have a date yet. I gotcha. Okay, Stuart, thanks so much right. for the update. I appreciate it.
My pleasure, Greg. Thank there's, you. Uh, there's Stuart Green joining us from the TTC. I think it's really, really interesting. 13%. This was the data from uh, Lex Harvey's the excellent transportation reporter in the Toronto Star. And she knows 13% of riders on Toronto streetcars don't pay. That's fair inspectors say that. That's really tough to, that's probably, you know, it's, that's got a, a point of, a margin of error, if you will. Probably a point or two on either side. Maybe it's 15. Maybe it's 11. But that's about what it is. And uh, she notes that the actual figure is likely higher. Some of that is, yes, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Fair inspectors stopped the ticketing and started talking about educating. But I think that's a waste of time. Hey, this is a streetcar and you need to pay your fare. Yes, they would know that. They would absolutely know that 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 ends up being the case. I also see more than enough groups saying, well, don't give tickets out, but improve service dramatically. Stop cutting routes but don't give any tickets out whatsoever. Well, tickets are part of the revenue. Imagine if there were no speeding tickets in the province for 12 months. You'd notice it in the infrastructure. I can't say where or when you'd notice it, but you would. I don't know why the TTC would be considered any different. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Justin Trudeau had a needed a 515 news conference. I think he started around 6 o'clock. And um, so, you know, it's very difficult for television news and and even us here on the radio to take something live at six o'clock because you got news packages already. Now, we did that. I watched uh, Global News at six last night. I got in the door at like 554, turned it on, and uh, they did a great job, as did Donna Friesen at 630 on exactly what Justin Trudeau had said. I don't know that he planned for all of us to get caught up on the word rapporteur, rapporteur. Um, but there's going to be an independent special rapporteur probing alleged Chinese interference in the uh, recent election. Um, this is far from a public inquiry or even an inquiry. But um, I knew that he'd get, uh, you know, pasted by the NDP. And he is. Uh, he'd get pasted by the conservatives. And he is. This isn't, doesn't go nearly far enough. Um, But at the same time, something that he said was quite unbelievable, quite unbelievable beyond where you are on the election cycle here, depending on where you are on these particular issues. And people will have there's no doubt Justin Trudeau's got people who will criticize every single thing he does for the weeks and months and years until he is not prime minister and then maybe even beyond. He will have people defend maybe because they're concerned about the alternative they're loyalist, whatever, however it works. My job here, criticize Justin Trudeau when he deserves it. Equally criticize Doug Ford when he deserves it. Criticize the damn mayor of Toronto, who it ever ends up being whenever they deserve it. Okay? That's the job. Um, but Justin Trudeau yesterday, this is what I saw too. Last week, it was possible that you were encouraging anti-Asian racist. It wasn't just possible, probable that you were encouraging anti-Asian racism for asking questions about specific cases, like like the Don Valley North riding, of election interference. Also, there were elements of racism in the actual stories themselves that provided a bias against um, Chinese Canadians. Okay, I dismiss that and I disagree with that. But that was last week, right from the prime minister's lips. Yesterday, this is a big problem and we'll appoint a special rapporteur to look at this ASAP. 
although no dates were provided whatsoever for when that person will be appointed. When like there was a little more clockwork with the Emergencies Act, like there really was. This is when we're going to start it. This is when you're going to get a report from Justice Rouleau. And I think they were maybe two or three days late, but they were pretty much on target and on time. We get none of that yesterday from the prime minister. Then we also get this. I really cannot believe that yesterday Justin Trudeau looked into a camera and took credit. His leadership, not just a lot of the infrastructure around him, but his leadership, it feels like was the biggest factor for how the two Michaels were released from a Chinese holding center. We stood strong as a government. We stood strong as Canadians for our values and for the rule of law. And we got them home that way. That's what a prime minister does. That's, a, that's what responsible leadership is. I could swear that the Michaels were freed because a deal was cut with the United States after Joe Biden became president. It took about nine months, but they started working on that deal in early February of 2021. You know, they just waited till all that January 6th stuff settled down with those people climbing up the Capitol building. They thought, let's let's wait a few weeks. Then one of the major priorities of the Biden government was make a deal with China so that Meng Wanzhou, the Huawei executive, was going to be set free. She's set free. A deal gets cut. The two Michaels, pew, on a plane back home. I could swear that China freed the two Michaels because the United States dropped the charges and the Americans brokered the deal. Not the way, let's hear it again, not the way this gets described here. We stood strong as a government. We stood strong as Canadians for our values and for the rule of law. And we got them home that way. That's what a prime minister does. That's, a, that's what responsible leadership is. I can't. I mean, I, there, there's nobody. There's nobody. You could have voted for him three times. You could want a, a, a statue of him on every street corner. You can't possibly defend that comment. And you can't possibly think that he thinks that. Oftentimes, and I think we've realized this the last three years, but it's probably been forever, that you go, what's more harmful? Somebody that thinks something in their wrong or somebody that knows that something isn't true and they say it anyway. There's that old adage that bands should say, we're the best young band in the world right now because 40% of the people will believe it. That's the Noel Gallagher principle with Oasis. It works sometimes, but nobody elects Noel Gallagher. Nobody elects the band Oasis. We do elect the leader of a G7 country. I, I I don't even, I can't, I can't even tell you how humorous that was to an awful lot of people. And I know it makes people throw stuff against the wall when the prime minister says something like that and takes credit for something that honestly, we're, we were a bystander, innocent or otherwise. We were a bystander while the U.S. instantaneously from Joe Biden becoming president decided, let's make a deal. Let's let's free Meng Wanzhou. We don't want this entanglement. This was this happened under a previous government. Let's tie up the loose ends and let's get this done. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. All right, let's do our in or out. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. 
No, 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 no. You insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay. <laughs> Sheba mentioned age earlier on, and I'm an older person than uh, Sheba is. Um, you know, I when the Beatles came on Ed Sullivan when I was a teenager, I just thought this is one of the most magical moments. I'm not that old. <laughs> anyway, um, my in or out had to do with me yesterday. I uh, My headphones... Um, didn't weren't charged up that's my speaking of personal responsibility my headphones okay. died in the middle of um you know i like to run at the gym i'm not much of an upper body person i don't have pierre polyev bicep i don't i don't have anna polyev biceps <laughs> so she's smaller than him that's all i'm saying anyway okay, so you're out, you're you're, out, you're on the treadmill yeah. and your headset dies and my headset dies and so i have to take the headset off but i'm like let's let's charge on so there's music playing above the speaker and i'm thinking okay i like i like running to music but I can't hear a damn thing from the speaker because, buddy, two treadmills over. No one's between us. There's a buffer treadmill. It's like at the movies. Um, there's a buffer treadmill and the guy two treadmills down. But Shiba, he's on a long conversation. Like, basically, like, how are the kids, Sam? Really? Um, any great commissions from uh, sales lately? Oh, was that what he was talking about? Like, was, was he really? Or was it a personal call? It was. Well, it was a personal call, like like somebody he hadn't talked to in a long time. So he's like, and was he? I have. I'm kind of impressed right now. Was he running on the treadmill? Walking? At this nah. Well, he's he's at about a four. Okay. I bet he's at a four point two kilometer click. Okay. I'm but running it out with my bad uh, knees at a good <laughs> at a good uh, ten point ten point nine five thirty five minutes thirty seconds a kilometer. I'm. I'm and how long it. was he on this personal call? Roughly. Well, the rest of my four, the rest of my four uh, K plus change. So. So another two hours. Twenty-five minutes or so. <laughs> okay. So our in or out. This would never happen in like a Pilates class or a spin class, right? Like the instructor would stop this instantly, whether it's your but membership no or not. But there's no instructor at the gym, right? When you're on a treadmill. So it's up to you as a concerned citizen to politely go over there and say something, <laughs> oh which I God. know you didn't. <laughs> I I found the guy remarkably rude. When my son calls and he's like, Dad, where's uh, this? Dad, we're out of ketchup. Dad, this, dad, that. I go to the furthest corner of the gym, away <laughs> from every other human being there, and I talk to him as briefly as I can, as quietly as I can. I know my I know you wouldn't think that, given um, my... Uh, my gregarious persona, but I won't do that. I won't tick other people off by having a conversation while they're trying to exercise. So okay, but that's you, right? That's you. You are in a public area, and no one is saying anything to him that works there. Uh, if I would have gone up to the person, <laughs> I love it. I love it because that's not even our interrupt. But you I know have where such this happens? Admiration yeah. for you that you. Excuse me, sir. Can you control your conversation? Because my headphones died and I have to listen to you. And also no, be... I just be like, do you have a headset or something? Because you're, I mean. Well, he has a headset. I can't hear the other person. Oh, so but he's, he's talking on the Bluetooth, but he's too oh, loud. I see. I it doesn't see. matter. He's too loud. It's going on too long. And I'm trying to, uh, I, I can't, I can't have it. You know where this happens to me often at the airport? When you're in the, in the gate, in the waiting area, waiting for the gate to open. And there's always some guy in a suit always in a suit i agree yelling into men. his phone yeah and it's always I'm... like a business deal and he drops the words yeah a few million here yeah and then we made a few million there he's it, i feel like it's a conversation just for the rest of us and not for the person on the phone and i've listen by the way let me make the distinction here so our in or out is talking on the phone at the gym for long conversations um let me make the distinction if if two people 
are walking together, I almost am okay with it. Hi, Barb. Oh, hi, Carol. I haven't seen you in weeks. What's going on? Well, all my children's uh, taking a quite an amazing plot twist. I don't know if they're talking about soap operas or what. I have no problem with two people talking together because I think people haven't seen each other. But I think the call, you can you can keep it brief, call the guy in your car on the way home. But that's not the place for you to have your catch-up. It's not. It's spelled with a C, not a K. 416-870-6400 via text. I'm out. I'm so out. I guess it's my inner in, in or outy, so I'm out. Gord? I'm out. I just, that conversation. Thank you for supporting just, me yeah. for once. Yeah. The gym is just like Narnia <laughs> to me. I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> so I'm out as well, but there's also a responsibility and onus on me to go say something. That's what I, I think. think. I, if, it's, I, if it's bothering me that much. I'm a wimp about that, as I am with all the guys in the in the communal hot tub with their, <laughs> with their Bluetooth speakers. I just don't understand what happened to personal space. The next government that that puts big fines in for this kind of stuff is going to win a majority every time. Dave Bradley, you never invade my personal space. No, and you're never tr- too loud. You do love that communal hot tub, though, don't you? It's really something. The bubbles come <laughs> up, um, awkward eye contacts made. Can't beat it.